I need you to go in your Bibles to Second Peter in the first chapter, and I knew we would be covering a lot today, and so I never thought I was going to get to verse 3 anyway, but this will just keep me in verse 2, and for those of you who've not been through a book study with me and think it's going to take forever, it really won't, um, and hopefully the Lord, when He comes, will find us faithful opening God's Word. And that's what counts. And so um, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever received a gift that you've opened up and you looked at it and had this thought, why in the world would they give me this? You ever had that thought? Have you ever opened a gift and, and, and just smiled and put on that face and said, thank you very much, but wow, you didn't mean it a whole lot. I remember years ago, um, my extended family, very extended, um, when we first got married, Teresa has just a huge family. And so we were making one of our many stops, and it was on Christmas Day, and it was the end of the stop. I didn't even know these people. The only ones I knew were the ones that came with me and Teresa. And that's immediate family, right? And even if you don't like what the immediate family gives you, you just smile and say, thank you very much, right? But when you are with family that you don't see very often at all, and they give you a gift, I must have been in my early 20s, I get this gift and it's about this long and the package is, and I open it up, and it's a used tie. And at the time, I thought, wow, okay. But do you know, as time has gone on, you know, the older you get, it happens to you. When someone gives you something, you appreciate it. That is one of the signs that you're growing up. And I look back at that used tie and I can say, you know, that person, maybe that's all they had to give. Maybe that's all they had to show their appreciation or their love for me. Maybe that's it. Guys, do you know in salvation, we have been given precious gifts? Gifts that maybe we ought to think a little bit more about. Gifts that we ought to not only know what these gifts are, but, but how these gifts work out in our lives as believers. Last time in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1, we saw this precious gift of salvation that's been given to those of us who are in Jesus Christ. And, and I trust that all of you this morning are in Jesus Christ. I trust that you know him as, as your Savior and that you're living for him as your Lord. I, I hope that's true. Um, and if it is, then you have precious gifts. And Peter alerts his audience to these precious gifts in verses 2 and 3. He says, not only do you have a precious salvation, but you have precious gifts. And I want us to understand these gifts as Peter talks about them in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, and we're going to read the verse and kind of dissect it. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
I have a handout for you in your bulletin. Hopefully you'll, uh, you have that with you and you'll need that if you plan on uh, using these notes at all. Uh, and if you don't use them, you won't offend me, but I think they're, they're good for you to take and to think through. Before we begin and kind of dig through verse 2, I put up here the special note. These precious gifts Peter mentions in verses 2 and 3 are only as a result, and this is very important, only as a result of precious saving faith. Do you realize if you're in Christ today how precious it is to be in Christ? How precious it is to know that without a shadow of a doubt you've been sealed by the Spirit without a shadow of a doubt that you belong to God. And that one day, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, is coming for his church. That's good stuff. I mean, that'll preach. And that ought to give us comfort as believers. So, it's important that we understand that these gifts mentioned in verses 2 and 3 are only as a result of saving faith. And I want us to talk about these two gifts. The first gift is the gift of grace. The gift of grace. Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Um, What is grace? By definition, grace means unmerited favor. In other words, you don't earn grace. You don't earn it. You think about how many people in our culture are trying to earn their way or earn favor with God. Think about that. Really, every other religion outside of true Christianity, that's what they're trying to do. But... You can't earn it. Grace and peace are something that God gives. They're precious gifts. So grace is unmerited favor. It is God. I love this definition. It is God giving us what we don't deserve. Guys, we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve heaven. But because of his grace, we get it. Isn't that great? We get it because of his grace. I like the way Wayne Barber puts it. He says this about grace. Grace is the fact that he loved us when we were unlovable. Now, this is a lot to take in. That he gave us the gift of salvation when we were completely undeserving. He provided forgiveness for our sins while we were still in our sins. I like the way he closes it. In our daily lives, there are numerous examples of God's favor and blessing. You ever done this in a quiet time to list God's favor and God's blessing in your life? What are those things that God has given to you, right? Listen, God gives to the unbeliever, unbeknownst to the unbeliever, their next breath. There's common grace. Matthew speaks about that. The Lord does in in, in Matthew chapter 5. There's common grace. The unbeliever experiences that common grace. They're allowed to breathe because God allows it. Do you think people today have a view of God like that? (laughs) That the next step they take is only because of God. They may not know that, but you know what? We know it, don't we? We know that the next breath we take is because of God's grace in our lives. So, Paul speaks about this grace in a very familiar verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Look at that first phrase, by grace. 
through the favor of God. We did nothing to earn that favor. <laughs> you know, as I see myself, how do, you, how do you see yourself? I know how I see myself. I'm a wretched man. Didn't Paul say that? Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm a wretched man. In my flesh, I am a wretched man. You can even say it. Hey, Thad, you're a wretched man. And it's true. In my flesh, I am. God, listen, God, by his grace, has saved Thad Blunt. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. And Paul says, for by grace, God giving us what we don't deserve and what we can't earn. He says, you've been saved through faith. By the way, that's very important. That's the only way one, one is saved, through faith. Notice that. Faith plus what? Faith plus nothing. Man wants, it to, man wants to make it about faith plus works. Faith plus I've got to do this or I've got to do that. My friends, listen to me. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been declared righteous. You are in right standing only because, and we talked about this a couple weeks, only because we've been covered with the righteousness of Christ. It's his righteousness. We looked at that in Romans, man. Our righteousness, man's righteousness is what? It's just filthy rags, dirt, man. We're ugly people. I'm not saying you're ugly, but we're ugly people in our flesh, aren't we? We are. So you have the gift of grace that God gives to us. And by the way, this is in the right order because the next gift is the gift of peace. It's in the right order. Um, if you went through in the New Testament, you could look through from... 1 Corinthians on, and you'll see the greeting. Sometimes it, it's in the greeting in the beginning of the book. Sometimes um, Paul will close with grace at the end of a book. But it's always grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace, right order. Because, listen, as I understand the grace of God, when I come to understand that I have God's favor in my life, then that equates to what? Peace. Man, how many people in our world today are restless? They're looking for peace. Hey, guys, you know what? And we don't say this haughty, but I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about this. I have peace with God only because of Jesus Christ. Um, peace is a word used to describe an ordered life. That's what it means in the, in the original language. It is a bringing together of what was broken. Now, I want you to hear me out here. Listen to this. The Greek word was originally associated with the absence of conflict or war. That's how the, the term arene was used. It was used to, to talk about the absence of conflict and war. You see where this is going? Before we were saved, we were what? We were at war with God. You say, we were. Well, Romans 5, if you read Romans 5, he describes how we were before we were justified. He says we were helpless Paul does in Romans 5 he says we were ungodly we were sinners and then he uses the word and it's a very strong term in the Greek he says we were enemies nobody I mean how, <laughs> how long do you think I could preach if I said that in the world today an enemy of God that's what I was before I was justified before I was declared righteous because of my faith in Christ 
I like what Paul writes in Romans chapter five, verses one and two. He says, therefore being justified by faith. That word justified is a legal term. It means to be declared righteous. Therefore being justified by faith. Look at this next phrase, guys. We have what with God? Peace. Right back in the 60s, right? This is the symbol peace, right? Peace, peace, peace. Guys, the peace that God offers to us is not the peace like the world. <laughs> the peace the world offers doesn't last. The foundation is not there. <laughs> Such a contrast. Paul says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of Christ. And so these two gifts are grace and peace. They already had this because they knew Christ. They were already in right standing with the Lord. And Paul, uh, Peter does something here. He's, he's wishing or desiring that that grace and peace be multiplied in their life. That was his one desire. If you see it here in, in verse 2, his desire was that these people would experience multiplication of grace and peace in their lives. Do you know what that's like? Multiplied grace and peace in your life? You know what that even means? We're going to look at that in a little bit later, how that works out in our lives because it's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. We can talk about grace and peace from a doctrinal perspective, but how does that flesh out? That's what Peter wanted them to know. Hey, look, standing right before the Lord is wonderful. Having peace with God is wonderful. Having favor from God is wonderful, but how is that fleshed out in a person's life? So Peter's one desire was to see these gifts multiplied in their lives. And I like to break down words. You know, words became important when Bill Clinton took office. How many of you remember that? Old enough to remember that, right? Words became very important then. Definitions. And so when I look, and I can't help it. When I look and I'm studying the book, I got to know what these words mean. So Paul's wish or Paul's desire was to see these precious gifts of grace and peace multiplied in their lives. The word multiplied is an interesting word. It means to fill or to increase. It also refers to growing. So he wants them to grow up in grace and peace. That's what he wants them to do. He wants them to grow in grace and peace. This is not the only time he mentions it. In fact, to 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 2b, he says, May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Same idea. And then in Jude, verse 2, May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. So it's not that I just stand in grace and peace with God, but Peter's praying, he's, his desire for these believers is that would be multiplied in their lives. And so the obvious question becomes then, how are grace and peace multiplied in the lives of Christians? Right? That's the natural question. If Peter's praying or wishing or desiring for this, how are grace and peace multiplied in your life and in my life? And the answer is one word. Knowledge. Knowledge. 
So when you look at this verse, Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you, all right, to you believers in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now there is a word in the Greek that is the word gnosis. And it primarily speaks in terms of one's intellect, one's knowledge, what a person knows. Absent, now this is important to understand, absent of impacting one's character or change in behavior. Peter uses the Greek word epigenosis, which stresses a knowledge gained by experience. So you see gnosis in that word epigenosis. So he adds the prefix epi, which emphasizes or stresses, stresses knowledge gained by experience. Or you could say a knowledge that influences a person's behavior. So it's not just knowledge. I mean, if we played Bible trivia, right? We could do that and I could ask you questions. And you might know something, but to know it by experience, to have it fleshed out. Right? I could say, well, give me the Greek terms for the word love, and you could spout them out. And I could say, well, how is agape love working out in your life? You can know it by definition. You understand what I'm saying? That's gnosis. But epigenosis is not only knowing what it says, but living it out. It's changing my life. (laughs) Uh, I don't know about you. That's where I need help. Anybody else need help? That's where I need help. I can understand the term, I can understand the word when it says that I am to love one another, but the epigenosis is not only that I understand it, but it's changing my behavior. Let me talk about how that works practically. In other words, I haven't been demonstrating uh, agape love in, in, in regard to this person, but I know that I need to do it, so I walk toward that. That's the decision I make. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, with his help, I can do it. Because, listen, you know as well as I do, we can identify people within the body of Christ and say, "Uh, they're hard to love. Anybody right with me on that? Hard to love. You might even be looking at me right now saying, you're hard to love. That's fine. But what, what God is interested in is our what? Our obedience. So epigenosis has the idea of a knowledge that influences a person's behavior it influences me as a believer um epigenosis too it's worth noting this because every time you see it we'll, we'll make reference to it paul uses it a ton in his writings but epigenosis and this is very important refers to an accurate now that's what's missing in our culture today an accurate knowledge of god and of jesus our lord that's what's missing So, the definition says it's accurate, clear, thorough, more intimate knowledge. Oh man, that sounds tough. How do I have this more accurate, clear, thorough knowledge of God? If if I said to you, here's your assignment for today, write out what you know about God from the Old Testament. Relationship to his character and his attributes. What are you saying to me? Speak it out right now. What are you saying? God is what? Huh? Hope? Holy. He's holy. He's trustworthy. He's sovereign. 
He's just. Sorry, Bob, I thought you said trust. All right, he's just. He's love. He's faithful. Okay, do what? He's I am. So as you go through the Old Testament, we can say, well, we have a knowledge of the fact that God is this, but how has that fleshed out in my life? I can say, well, God is, he's omniscient, he knows all things, but then I'm sitting in the corner, I'm fretting, and I'm worrying that he doesn't know that I'm even here today. That he hadn't seen this problem that's going on in my life. But he knows all things. You guys, listen to me. He knows what's going on in your life right now. Right? He knows the worry and the anxiety that you have over an issue. But then I can look at it and go, wow. Okay, Lord, your spirits help me remember. My God is omniscient. There is nothing that escapes his notice. He knows me full well. Doesn't that give us comfort? Isn't that nice to know? So, Epigenosis describes this intimate knowledge of God um, and of Jesus Christ. I like what Kenneth Weiss says here about this term. He says, a Christian can have an understanding knowledge of the Word of God and even explain it to others without having an experiential knowledge because he or she has failed to put into practice what was learned. <laughs> uh, any of you in that boat with me? Man, I'm like, man, Kenneth, that's kind of heavy. A Christian can't, can have an understanding knowledge of the Word of God. In other words, you can have it all down. You can have the books of the Bible memorized. You can know the Beatitudes. You can know all of it. That's what this term refers to. I can know all that. But if I'm not putting it into practice, what use is it? It's interesting that um, Paul, in his um, writings, and if you go to Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he's praying that their epigenosis would increase. If you go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, look at this. For this reason also, Paul wrote, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the epigenosis of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? You see it there? All right? You can have the knowledge. We can have the knowledge. And a lot of us do have that knowledge. But as you can see, man, and this excites me because, because as I come to understand, right, the knowledge of his will, it's for what purpose? Notice at the end, so that you may do what? This is what he's praying for them, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him, because it's all about him, so that we can walk in a manner worthy to please the Lord, to please him in all respects, Paul says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of him. That's good stuff. See, it's not just having this, this intellect intellectual knowledge about the word that's the issue and that's not what Paul's uh, Peter's praying about here his desire is that that they would experience then in their lives the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord um uh oh question how does one gain right so so 
Here in the verse, he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Well, how does one gain this knowledge of God? How's that happen? There it is. The word, you get it? I wrote it three times. The word, the word, the word. Just in case you miss it. The first time, you got it the second time. The word, the word, the word. That's how we grow, guys. And notice he says here, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. There's an emphasis there on the Father in that language because we have here the second person of the Trinity mentioned, right? So if we're going to gain a knowledge of the Father, then, and, and you can, you, can uh, you, you study the Scriptures too, but this is kind of how I think of it. When I, when I want knowledge of the Father, then I'm going to the Old Testament. That doesn't mean the Father's absent in the Gospels of the rest of the Scriptures, but that's where I'm going to gain knowledge about the Father. And then when I think about the Son, what do you think of? Think of the Gospels, right? I, I need to understand Jesus Christ. Well, that doesn't mean Jesus Christ was absent. He wasn't. He was from the very beginning. But I can get a pretty good understanding of Jesus, my Savior, from the Gospels. And then when I think of the Holy Spirit, then I think of Acts on, right? And the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us. And so the answer to the question is the Word, the Word, the Word. So I got a question for you. If it's the word, the word, the word, how come that doesn't seem to be sufficient for even believers, some believers today? Because in my observation, this is just my observation, I hear people say, I want more. I need more than just Do we need more than just the Word? <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with books. I have books galore in my office. Come get one. You have to check it out. But I have books all over the place. But it's the book, guys. It's the Word of God. You know, Bob and Judy spent years translating Scripture, <laughs> right? It's the Word that changes people's lives. And so how does one gain knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ? The Word, the Word, the Word. But do you know what, guys? You don't have to depend on your own strength to understand it. I've got great news for you. We need to depend on the Spirit of the living God who's our teacher. You know, I feel sorry for people who are depending on teachers. I really do. Because... That doesn't mean teachers shouldn't teach the Word and we shouldn't, you know, read through and study with them. But if you're wholly dependent on a Sunday school teacher or a pastor, right, anyone else, it's not good. When I came to know Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the living God indwelt me. I was sealed by His Spirit and He is my teacher. He's my teacher. I'm relying on him. It's not the wisdom of men. It's the spirit of God. Um, and there's affirmation in that. If you just read John 14 through 17, we won't read the whole, all those chapters this morning, but I encourage you, if you have nothing else to do this afternoon, read it. And you'll see as the Lord Jesus is about to leave and depart from the disciples, he talks about the helper, the spirit. 
And he tells his disciples in a moments of anxiety, he says to them, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And I love the last part of that, right? You just kind of skip over it, but I like it. Because you know what? This is what the Spirit does for me. (laughs) He not only teaches me, but he brings to my remembrance. You ever done that for you? You ever been sitting across from somebody, you're going, oh, man, they're asking me this question, and I'm thinking, man, I got the scripture, and, and the Spirit gives it to you. Isn't that nice? See, you don't know how many times I've been standing up here going, man, Holy Spirit, help me. Because my memory's fading. Brian said earlier he was getting old. He was 52. I'm 52 as well. I'm old. That's why I have all these notes. But the Spirit of God, he's our teacher. He's the one that teaches us. I wanted to give you um, three take-homes today that are very practical. You know, Peter had that desire. that He wanted to see multiplied grace and peace in the lives of these believers. Um, Grace is multiplied. And I want you to think about this. Grace is multiplied in my life when I come to understand his grace is sufficient no matter the circumstance. Okay? Grace is multiplied in my life when I come to understand his grace is sufficient no matter the circumstance. You remember the Apostle Paul and his thorn in the flesh? He begs the Lord three times. He begs him to take that thorn away. It's comparable to you and I saying, hey, Lord, I got this issue in my life. Please take it away. You know, sometimes he doesn't take it away, does he? Sometimes he doesn't take it away. In fact, how many of you that are, getting, that are old as I am and older find that he doesn't take a lot of those things? That you're walking like the Christian life is really walking through the valley. And he's there with you the whole time. Right? He doesn't leave us and he doesn't forsake us. But he tells Paul something very comforting. He says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. He begged him three times. Lord, deliver me. Lord, deliver me. Lord, deliver me. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. Man, how many examples could we cite in this room? We're, We're saying, Lord, take this from me. Take this from me. Take this from me. And he says to you, my grace is sufficient. That's a hard one to swallow, but I'm thankful for his favor in my life. Second, peace is multiplied in my life when I come to understand the importance of giving everything over to him. That's when it's multiplied. I can know the definition, but it's multiplied in my life when I give the Lord everything. These verses we know so well, but wow. Think about this. Who doesn't love verse 7 of Philippians? Chapter 4. Who doesn't love that verse? And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you love that verse? But you got to do verse 6. 
I don't know if anybody's ever talked to you. You have to do verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing, which, guys, we're all anxious at times. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And I have this picture in my mind. You know what the Lord wants us to do? All these anxieties, all these things that Thad tends to worry about, he wants me to dump them at his feet. They're yours, Lord. They're yours. My kids are yours, right? My finances are yours. Grace Community Church, it's yours. All those things, all the people that I'm looking at, Lord, they're yours. I can't change them, but you can. See? Well, I don't know about you, but that's a discipline that I need in my life. I think it's a discipline we all need in our lives. Peace is multiplied when I come to understand the importance of giving everything over to him. And then lastly, knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ comes through the study of the word. There is no substitute. When I think about precious gifts in my life, I think about my wife, I think about my kids, and I think about my grandkids. And as much as I love my wife, and as much as I love my kids, and as much as I love my grandkids, guys, the gift of salvation is the greatest gift I've been given. That's the greatest gift. That's the gift. And Peter writes to these believers, and he says, you have the precious gift of saving faith. Now I'm praying that you'll come to experience multiplied grace and peace in your life. And guys, we can have that if we're in Christ today. Let's pray together. Lord, there's a lot there to consume. Um, just as it was your desire for these believers who were being in the context of the book, who were being attacked by these false teachers. They needed to experience multiplied grace and peace because their world was being turned upside down. And Lord, we live in a culture today where people do not have, so, so many people I think about, do not have that grace and peace. So help us, Lord, my first prayer is that we would appreciate, if we're in Christ today, the grace that's been extended to us, the favor that we have with you, God, because of your Son, Jesus Christ, and his righteousness. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be thankful for the peace that comes in knowing that we have been reconciled to you. We were at war and because of faith in Christ alone, we've been brought into a peaceful relationship with you. And Lord, we want to see that multiplied in our lives. We do. I hope that's true. And so I pray that, that, that we wouldn't just have a knowledge of your word, but that that knowledge of your word, through the Spirit of God teaching us, 
would help us to walk worthy as Paul prayed for the Colossian believers, that we would walk worthy. As Paul wrote in Thessalonians, that we'd walk worthy of the call with which we've been called. Lord, we want to please you. I pray that's our heart this morning, that we want to please you, that we want to bring you honor and we want to bring you glory. Help us to be people that live out our faith so that the world might see a difference in us. As was shared in the beginning of the service, there's much to be done. We have been equipped, as we're going to see next week. We have been equipped. And so we thank you for that. We want to give you glory and praise as we um, come to the end of our service today. I pray that we would um, walk by the Spirit so that we would not carry out the lust of the flesh. Help us to be pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen.